0: kind of a, a, an interesting thought, isn't it? Kind of interesting thought. Well, I was wondering how everything went this week. We did a lot of uh, kind of big stuff uh, this week, <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if we can get, can we get any lights up up here? Is that possible? I'm not sure if there's any way to do that. Um, but uh, I don't know how your your week was, but mine was, you know, uh, like I said, kind of uh, this can you know, disconnected a little bit, the little uh, unusual week, lots of struggles this week and lots of hardship, not the least of which was the Vasquez situation, the, the uh, and all the emotions went with that. I mean, from the time that the procession came through town and all that and, and uh, other things that, thank you very much. God bless Rick Emery, Look at that. He's got magic, man. I don't know how to do that. I would have gone and done it myself. Um, but it was, it was an interesting week. But one of the things we did this week at Family Bible Church is we started this new thing called family groups. How many of you went to family groups this week? Cool. Okay. How many of you don't raise your hand, forgot to go to family groups this week? No, I'm just kidding. We had, we had some groups that were just packed out and some groups were folks that signed up, didn't show up. And, um, and so uh, uh, I just want to remind you that, that we started that. Um, it's not a big deal. I want to say something else to you. I mean, if you, if you couldn't have made it or something, we're not trying to pressure into it, but man, I believe wholeheartedly that God is speaking. And I believe that it is happening as we all um, uh, journey together, you know, and, and the small group environment is such a blessing. And then the idea of having the families gathered together is such a blessing. Um, but one of the things I want to say is some of y'all didn't get a book last week for your family group study. You want to grab those. We actually got those. We actually ran out. We had 75 ordered and we ran out. So there's more in the back there. If you want to grab one of those uh, so you can catch up with your group and begin the travel and journey with them, that'd be cool. I know sometimes the group maybe wasn't, maybe it's, I, it's weird, right? We've never done curriculum before. So I know it's a little, you know curriculum itchiness going on you know but I just want to encourage uh, all the groups and the group leaders to stick with it and let's see where we go uh because we, we believe we've been drawn to this place and and let's journey together I'm, I'm excited I'm thinking about I, I was talking to Chris about it and I said maybe um three three four weeks start to get a rhythm of what's going on we got 11 weeks semesters all we got to do is 11 weeks right but I, I think we'll start to gel and see that happening and um that I'm excited about it. So we're actually following this curriculum, so if you're going to journey with us and you're not in a family group the next 11 weeks, we're going to be actually following this curriculum on Sunday mornings and uh, Sunday evenings. We're working through the book of Acts, though, so it's pretty straightforward. And if you, uh, on your connection card, if you've got one of those, um, or your bulletin, on the back it actually has the readings. The readings are actually pretty much in the book as well. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. It's, it's a little overlapping, you know, we're going to kind of do that thing. But... Um, but I would encourage you to, to follow along with us to the book of Acts. It's not a very, it's gonna be a kind of a linear study of Acts. So I encourage you to grab your books if you need one of those and don't have one yet. And this is mine, so I don't wanna lose it. Um, cool. Uh, did, who, what, can someone share something they learned this week maybe? From family groups or from your personal study with that material, your personal study of the book of Acts? I did say this was audience participation Sunday. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're not the audience. But, but you no, know, anything at all? We talked about the first chapter of Acts, recall? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm in your last room, so I got to tell her this morning that the Sabbath day walk isn't very far. A Sabbath day walk is not very far. That's true. That's true. Uh Yeah, all in the back. I was going to and the part of you said that Jesus was taken up to him by the Sabbath, and that God did not know how to Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Anyone else? Yeah, the gift, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and we're going to talk about, that's where we're at. Acts chapter 2 is just going to be ridiculous. We're going to talk about this stuff. But there's this coming, there's this promise that we had last week. And we were kind of in tension. And I don't know if your group was like my group was. But we were wanting to race ahead, you know. We didn't want to live there in that spot where Jesus left his disciples, right. We wanted to race on in Acts chapter 2. And we kept catching ourselves trying to go ahead into the book a little further. And that's okay, too, because we know the story. But at the other... at the same time, we wanted to kind of feel that tension that they were under. Because they must have felt, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, but they were human. And, and 2,000 years hasn't changed humans very much. You know, um, for good or for bad, it's, we're kind of the same. And, and they must have felt kind of abandoned in some way or left. But yet they were obedient. And isn't that a beautiful word, too, from the text today? That they were obedient to God, even when they didn't understand what God was doing. They were obedient. And they had enough faith in this guy named Jesus to hang out. He had done great things already, had been resurrected, walked among them. So we're going to talk about that today. And uh, I just want to encourage you to keep engaged in those conversations. And don't doubt for a minute that God can give you a word from the least likely, the least expected place. Don't doubt for a minute that that can happen. And uh, we're praying for you as you journey with us. Speaking of that, let's pray as we open the word today uh, together. Father God, we, we, we come before you today completely and totally dependent on you and waiting uh, for you. And just like those early disciples, Lord, uh, sometimes we don't know what you're doing, but yet we wait with faith. And uh, teach us today, Lord, to be obedient to your word. Teach us today to uh, open our hearts. And Father God, we know that that is done by the power of your Holy Spirit. And today we just ask that you would dwell richly with us. And that uh, this promise is here. The promise is here. And Father, that we would somehow, um, by your grace and mercy, that you would make that known to our hearts. Uh, We we lift up stone, uh, stone stone-cold, hard hearts today, Lord, and ask you to prepare them for the living word. And may we always give him praise and glory and honor. Praise pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, if you want to turn with me to the, uh, the book of Acts, I've realized now we've kind of done some of our screens where, <laughs> with the light I asked for, but we can follow along here. The book of Acts, uh, it's going to be chapter 2. And I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to talk through it a little bit. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I think it's on page, can you, there it is, 756. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have them in the chairs there for you. It's 756 in the, in the uh, Bibles we provide. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phy- Phrygia. He <laughs> was going to get me right. Uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And I just feel like, in the second chapter here of the book of Acts, we have this. That's why I love. See, I love the tension that we had last week. And I know the family groups felt like we needed grace. You know, oh, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. But but I love the tension of this because sometimes, and this is something that I've experienced and I profess to you, is sometimes we feel like we're not going anywhere when we're waiting on God. Sometimes we feel like we're stuck when we're waiting on God. And and you know what it reminds me of, and I had a few of them this morning, it kind of reminds me of a rubber band, you know. Sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm way back here, you're leaving. And all of a sudden, and I love the book, Acts chapter 2, because what happens here is this thing just takes off in a whole new direction. And uh, that's how we kind of see this opening, opening word. Now, I want to say there's a few key words in this first first section of the book of Acts chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about them real quickly. There's three key words I want to talk about specifically. There's the word tongue, okay, and that's glosa. And it literally means uh, tongue, okay. That's, that, there's not, nothing fancy here, tongue. But then you, when you get into the definitions, it says or languages, which, okay, this can get weird in a minute because you got tongue, but then also saying language. And I was trying to get my head around what does that mean for the author, uh, Luke, as he wrote this book. When he says tongue, it's something about the person speaking that becomes profound here, you see. It's, it's, it's not about a filter In the hearing, it's the tongue. There's this thing that happens, and the the, the tongue starts to proclaim what? The words of God. The word of God begins to be proclaimed from the tongue. And so that's the word, glosa. Glosa is the Greek word there for tongue. Then there's a second word here, sound. And and this is where it says they heard a sound, right? And we're going to go through the whole text again, but I want you to know what this means. And it's phone. Or phone, it's spelled phone in you know, the transliteration. But it's like phone, it's, it's audio, it's audible. It's, it's, they heard something. And it's not necessarily the first sound that they heard, uh, but this proclamation of tongues that they heard. And then the language is a third word. So you got tongue, you got sound, you got language, and that's dialectos, right? Now, we've talked about Greek a little bit here together, but you should hear some familiar words. Sometimes, what is the saying? The old saying is what? It's all Greek to me. Yeah, right. We always say that. How do you fix a car? It's all Greek to me, you know. But the truth is that the Greek is not as mysterious as we make it sometimes. Listen to the word dialectos. What's that sound like? Dialect, dialogue, conversation a language. And that's the third word here. And they say they begin to, and I'll start to kind of break these down a little bit for you this morning, where they show up in the text. But um, I just want to make a point to say that, and, and it gets confusing because the, the word the dialect there is also translated language as well as tongue sometimes as language. So like I say, it gets a little, a little sketchy. But um, it is to say those are three key ideas. Now I want to start though at the beginning of the text because what it says here in the second chapter of Acts, I'm going to step on some equipment, is um When the day of Pentecost came, and I thought, well, we all know what Pentecost is, right? Do we all know what Pentecost is? Pentecost is the day that the the Holy Spirit comes down to the disciples, right? That's what we say, you know? And where were the disciples at? They they were in the upper room. They were shaking in the upper, well, not necessarily, okay? And there's the problem, because we have these kind of images sometimes. And I was amazed when I looked at the word Pentecost, right, in the text, and it's exactly Pentecost in the original language as well. And Pentecost is actually the Feast of Weeks for, for Jews. It was a Jewish festival. It was a Jewish feast. The Feast of Weeks. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. So when Luke says here, the day of Pentecost came, we hear the day the Holy Spirit came, which is true. But the, the backside of the story here a little bit is that the Feast of Weeks was something that the Jews had been doing for a while you 'll remember what was the last supper that the lord had do you want what, what was what was that meal Passover. Passover another Jewish celebration I just did it devin sorry all right and it's, it's this other, it's this other uh, celebration that the Jews have. Passover, they remember that God took them and, and brought them out of their slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand, it says, right? So there's this great work of God. And Jesus says there's no accident, sets so down at a Passover feast before this great, mighty work that's gonna happen through his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. You hear what I'm saying? Pentecost. The word actually means 50 days. It's a 50-day celebration. Seven weeks, seven seven-days weeks. Seven sevens is 49, so it's seven weeks after what? Well, I might want to say Passover, but that would not be correct because it's actually seven days after the first fruits. It was also called a harvest festival, okay? So it's a feast of weeks or a feast of harvest, so here's, and I'm trying to get my head around this a little bit with you this morning, and I hope you, you can journey with me for a minute. But it means that there was a celebration, a literal celebration from the first time they started to take, because, well, the, when you start, how does it go? Someone said the other day, we were, we were out in Highland here knocking around, and someone said, I should be out in the fields harvesting. <laughs> not here today. I, I should be going out, and I wish I knew what they were saying. they were saying cutting beans. Does that make sense? I'm not a farmer. I think they said I should be out cutting beans, not here wasting my Saturday. You know, because farmers know what? When the harvest is ready, you've got to take it. Like, that's the day. You've got to do it. So you don't have a festival of harvest the first day of the harvest. Because you've got work to do, right? But your festival comes seven weeks later when you go, wow, and you've got this bounty. And you, you come together and you have this Festival of, of this uh, celebration. Feast of the harvest or feast of the weeks the Jews are celebrating. Now, I'm going to say here that it could mean two different things, okay? And I just want to have you explore with me for a minute. It could mean that literally the Jews had had their feast, which would have meant that the grain offerings, the first grain offerings from the thing, happened right as Jesus died and was resurrected. That there was the, the priests were in the temple with the first grain offerings because you give your first to God, right? And it could mean literally that Luke would say, as it happened on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Now, I'll tell you something else. The early Christians were what? God-fearing Jews, right? They were Jewish. And so where they would be is, we think they're in an upper room, but actually everything would tell us they would be in the temple that day, like any good Jew. They would be there celebrating that day, you see, celebrating the feast with their brothers and sisters, And I think this bears out in the story. I think it bears out in the story. So what happens is it's 50 days from the first fruits. Now you could literally say that means they had the feast and then they were celebrating. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit showed up. Or you could also see in the text that Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the harvest. See, and all of a sudden it shifts now. Because if Luke is claiming Jesus is the first fruits, which would be consistent with everything we see in Scripture, then he's starting to to hear the story that Peter's telling him. Hey, 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 Luke, when the day of Pentecost came, you know after 50 days, the Holy Spirit was poured out on us in a mighty and powerful way. Things change in the second book of Acts. I want to do a little math with you, real quick, okay? <laughs> math Sunday, right? But here's—we have 50 days of Pentecost, right? From the first fruits, whichever way you want to look at that. From the first fruits of the harvest, or the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the first fruits of new life. And and you got 50 days going there. But how long did Jesus teach? Does it say? Do I remember? Last week. Thank you, sir. 40 days, by the way, interesting stuff there too. We can't get time to get into it. 40 days Jesus came and talked and lived among them and ate and spoke and, and oh my gosh, can you imagine? I mean, it's not like, we always think of, I always think of the resurrection like Thomas, you know? I see just, Jesus shows up in the room. That's when they were in the room cowering, by the way, and Jesus says, peace among you. And, and he says, Thomas, look at my hands, look at my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's a good word from Jesus Christ. But in my mind, in my mental vocabulary, it goes right from the upper room and the trembling and Jesus saying, do this to He's gone. That's not the textual explanation. That's not what we hear. We hear he spent 40 days walking around with his disciples, those who loved him, were following him, right? And there's only 11 now because the one's gone, Judas, right? And so he's walking around with his 11 disciples and, and, and uh, explaining and eating with them, it says, right? And so you have 11 day, uh, 40 days that way. We have a total of 50 days. So we have had 50 days of Pentecost minus 40 days of instruction from the Lord. What do we have left? 10? right? 10 days, okay? And we'll just say 10 days, 7 days, 10 days. I mean, you got three days in the grave. I don't know how this math works exactly, but I tell you what's interesting. They had to wait for 10 days. It wasn't like they just went back, you know? And look what's happened. Peter has begun to reinstitute what he knew to be true. And I think this is telling. We didn't get to talk about it a lot last week, but the, the end of chapter one, what Peter does after Jesus says, I am going ahead of you to prepare a place, right? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. That's in chapter one, by the way, I'm reading from. And he was taken up before them. And immediately Peter, this great, the, the rock, right, starts to get busy. And I think it's interesting because what Peter does is what he's always seen Jesus do. He says, well, we got to go replace Judas, first of all, guys. Let's, okay, let's have a... Re-. And he stood up among them, and says. He stood up among them. He said, let's get some stuff going here, guys. We need to replace Judas. And they do that with Matthias, right? And, and so Peter maybe is thinking, this is the way it's going to go. And they've actually gone back to the, the customs that they've always celebrated. They're there for Pentecost, the feast, the feast of harvest. And into this normal, ordinary, doing what we've always thought we're supposed to do, following the old rules, doing the old things. I think this morning is a beautiful illustration of that. What are we going to do? It's all different. And God says, of course it's different, because I'm in charge. God is moving among his people. Read with me in verse 2 of chapter 2. They were all together in one place. And suddenly a wind like the blowing of a violent a, a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. That literally means it was like whoosh. it literally means exhale, this whoosh. and they're in this temple, and and, and and all of a sudden God shows up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you think it's gonna be an ordinary festival, you're gonna do what you've always done. Oh, thanks for the harvest, and God's like, whoosh. And you're like, whoa, what's happening? Now, see, I I know we always talk about me getting loud and stuff. But, yeah, well, here's the problem, though. If you've been in that place, if you've been in that quiet room in your life where you think God has abandoned you to the pit, if you've been there and God comes in and just goes, and everything quakes and your heart breaks, we're praying for that today for you. And for the first time, you open it to the living God, and He rushes in, says He filled the whole house with His presence. A violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they're all sitting down. You see, they're pretty comfortable with the way things are, and God shows up and says, "No." here I am. And he starts to do this. And then I got to tell you something. This is a little weird. Then you know, if you know my story, I've not always been comfortable around Christians, okay? And so this is, gets interesting to look at because this is the testimony that Luke writes down that Luke was a historical writer, a historical writer. And I can't help but think he had to ask the question a couple of times here. Read over what I wrote here, uh, uh, Peter. Is that that really what you're saying there? Um, Hey, hey, fellas, who were the the guys in the room? 120 there. um, Could you? uh, I'm having a hard time because it says they saw what seemed to be, and I love the language here, tongues of fire that separated. That only means they were kind of cut, like as if you're going to cut some bread on a board or cut some meat on a board. It it came in and it began to separate over them like tongues of fire, the text says, and came to rest, sat down on each one there. Now see, here's my problem, folks. We read this and go, yeah, I know. I know it's the Holy Spirit and it came in. Are you kidding me? I mean, and then we have when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, it said. And I think thinking imagery here what does this look like to see the Holy Spirit come on these disciples in this room where they think it's ordinary, normal stuff? We're going back to the old ways, even Jesus' old ways, the ways he appointed apostles and disciples. They're feeling that this is the way to go here. And yet, like, like any other rabbi, almost, you see, they're being obedient, they're waiting, they're waiting. But when God shows up, it's not what they would expect. And I can't help but think that Luke would have to ask a couple of times. Okay, so they're like tongues. Like tongue, like okay. I and, and And they came in and they, they were divided? And the tongues came and they said on you? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, Do you have a little hard time with that? That's literally what the text says. Hear the word of God today. The tongues came as tongues of fire and sat on each of them and came to rest on each of them. And it says in that moment, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, here's where this tongues thing is, you know, interesting because it could mean languages here as well. It's that second definition we get. for the, But it, it says tongues. You know, I'm going to check my notes here. Each of them came in the Spirit and uh, began to speak in other glosa. It's right there. It's literally. But again, this understanding was they began to say something new don't you know? Something new. What did Jesus say? He said, even greater things than these you will do. And here they're seeing this great outpouring of God's Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, the pneuma, enabled them or gave them the, uh, gave them the ability Right? Ways you can say it is gave them the ability to speak out or furnished them with a separate speech or permitted them to utter. You see. Now I don't know if you've been in a God moment in your life. All right. I don't know if you've had that experience in any way, whether it be big or small. Some people say I've, God's never, you know, shook the foundations of my world. But even if it's in the littlest ways, I call them winks, you know. You get the little wink from God, you know, like still here. <laughs> Just and and you're there, and in that moment. You might wonder, like, what is going on? But God has permitted speech in that place. And here's the problem. You see, many times I'm I'm struck dumb. You might have a hard time believing that. But when God really shows up... Have you ever been in a holy moment that no one wants to speak about anymore? Have you ever been in a room in an ordinary day with ordinary folks, and the word of God has come? And all of a sudden... It's too holy. You can't speak there. I've had those experiences. And we find ourselves wanting. We find ourselves lacking. But here it says, in this moment of God's revelation, pouring out of his spirit, the Holy Spirit enables them to speak. And let's read on here, because this becomes this becomes a big old witnessing thing. You Nobody's know saying, I'm gonna make you witnesses of me to uh, to all the ends of the earth, what he says, right? And and Peter's reassembling the old crew to walk around like they've been doing, you know. This is his, his vision for ministry. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That means all every nation was there under Uranos, right? And when they heard the sound, and this is the this is the um what did I say? Phone? The phone rang, you know? This is when I like, Something was going on over there. Listen to what happens. They, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard him speaking in his own language. They had made a ruckus in the temple. And this became, have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever been walking down, mind your business, doing something and you see a crowd gathering? And are you ever conflicted about what you should do? Like you want to go over and check it out, but you don't want to be like drawn in? <laughs> you know and you, and you go over and maybe you stand there for a minute and then you find out you're disappointed in it I don't know I mean I can just see the scene unfolding here that this great sound comes and these tongues come and descend and they start to speak and they proclaim God's word in everyone's tongue. And they hear this and they gather, it says in verse six, when they heard the sound and they heard this noise coming, this, this utterance, a crowd came together in bewilderment. You see, they weren't there because they knew what was happening. They were there because they didn't know what was going on because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And that's what that means there. And that means that you see that list that we're gonna get into here in a minute. Every person heard the good news of the living God in their own tongue. And that's going to become a problem for them in a second. I love the words here. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans, right? They just can't figure this out. These guys are all from Galilee. Galilee. And, and, and it says, then how is that each of us is hearing them in their own native language? Now, here's the problem. We get into, well, it's how we're hearing them, right? It's not what I say, but what you hear that matters, you know? And I believe that God works as a filter. But the truth is here that they're proclaiming in their own native tongues the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, how is this possible? How is this possible? And they go through the whole list of everyone who's there. And then I want to say a couple things here, too, about who they're talking to, Right? Because it says visitors from Rome were there, right? Who lived in Rome and spoke Greek. Jews and converts to Judaism. And that actually means people who were drawn near. Uh, the, the word, is, 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 it doesn't quite translate well. But it means those who've been drawn near to the Christian faith. I mean to say that there are people there who have never heard the gospel before in their whole lives. And then there's people there who are kind of like hanging out, but not real comfortable with it yet, okay? And they're hanging out with the Jews, though, by the way, the, the true, the Yahweh. They're, they're, they're just learning. They're just getting their chops, you know? And then there's these God-fearing Jews who know Yahweh and who are waiting, and they hear the same, same thing. All of them, the truth is revealed to Cretans, I had look up Cretans too, right? That's the people from the island of Crete, but you know, yeah, you're a Cretan, right? And Arabs. And we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our language, right? The word is megalos, and it's only used one time in all of scripture scriptures. was right here, and I wish I knew what it really meant. What were they really proclaiming? Because it, it, it translates wonders or mighty deeds or magnificence or excellence or the splendid nature of theos, of God, in their own glosa, in their own tongue. And so, and we, we our family, group, you know, we were back on chapter one and we were talking and, uh, and we just couldn't figure out. We just tried to get our hands around this Holy Spirit thing, you know, because the truth is, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit has come. The truth is that we don't wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. The truth is the Holy Spirit is present. And so all of a sudden when you look back, you start to get our hands around, what does that mean for us? I mean, these are practical questions that I just have to understand as a Christian. Have to understand. And as we're exploring it, I love this verse right here. Chapter 2, verse 12. It says, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And you know what that actually means? The amazed word? We've seen it before. We've seen it whenever Jesus was doing miracles too. It means they were displaced. That means that this was their spot in the world and they were removed from this spot and put over here. That's called the paradigm shift, right? But it means they were literally beside themselves with confusion. They were shaken to their very foundations of everything they thought they knew. And and this isn't the only time we've seen this word. Amazed. And then perplexed there. It means they're bewildered, it says as well in other translations. They didn't know what where to go. Where to go. They were just in this place. And, And here's why I love this, you see, because sometimes as Christians, we find ourselves there and it freaks us out, don't you think? If we don't have all the answers, we can't follow God. If we don't have all the answers, we can't believe in Jesus. And yet, we see time and time again in the text that when you're confused, God may very well be working right there with you. When you are beside yourself and don't know which way to go, very well, God is right there saying, just hang out. We're going somewhere together. And they are displaced, they're beside themselves in this text. And so here they are, and they ask this question. This is a great question, and I think this is the question that I try to ask every Sunday the text, and it's this, what does this mean? What does this mean? And that literally means, what th- what's supposed to happen from this? They're confused, they don't know how to, how to go forward, and they say, what does this mean? What is supposed to, what is this supposed to make happen? Poyeo is used here again. Same word when Jesus was healing people is used, right? And then I want you, and so this is where they are. So yeah, these guys just see this happen in the temple of all places. And they're like, what does this mean? What are we supposed to do with this? They're, they just feel like they've been dumped on. They're hearing this stuff. They can't believe it. They're bewildered. They don't know the direction they're going anymore. And I want you to see the next thing out of someone's mouth here because I think this is how we always respond when God is moving. If we, if we aren't willing to wait, if we aren't willing to tarry long enough to hear God speak, it says, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. You hear what I'm saying? And I, I, I want you to hear that, that it was a harvest festival. They've had too much sweet wine. They've been, they've been dipping in the, you know, in the wells already. They, they can't, these guys. And that's what happens. And I can tell you that that's what happened to me in my life. I'm not sure what's happened to you in your life. But God moves in mighty ways. And then someone says, nah, I'm not so sure that was God. And they begin to maybe... You're kind of you're crazy. What do you think? Maybe we say it to ourselves. Maybe we say, whoa, 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 this is crazy. Now, see, I'm okay with that as so long as we're tarrying there with God. But when we say, whoa, 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 and we don't allow God a place in the room, we might be in trouble. It says some of them gathered there, though, made fun of them, mocked them is actually the word. And said, ah, they've just had too much wine. Now, see, I want to say something else about this. You might say, well, for them, they're discounting what they're experiencing. Yes? <laughs> Is that fair? They've had this profound God moment. I want to remind you that their room has shaken. The wind has blown. Tongues have been divided. And someone goes, ah, they're drunk. You <laughs> know? You know? But here's the big sin. This is a movement of God And in this movement Of the holy God The one who is speaking We pray today that God would reach down this place And change hearts In that tender moment That place of hope And of change And of resurrection And of new life A scoffer in the room Isn't just making your life hard He is actually thumbing his nose At the living God It's a big deal It's not even about you anymore. God is speaking. And we say, they're drunk. This is a a scary place to be. But then I love, and see. I said I was going to spend most of my time here. And we're going to wrap with this. And I'm not sure what the curriculum covers this week because I don't read ahead in the curriculum. But what we see here, if you just look at the amount of text in chapter 2, I just want you to look. We have the Holy Spirit right here and we have all this stuff. And who is it come from? Peter. And Peter's this guy that Jesus says, you're the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, right? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is the Peter that back whenever Jesus was crucified said, I don't know him, three times. And the last time he said it was to a peasant girl who could have made no difference in the society. She had no rights over Peter. And yet he said, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. Now, Peter is back, and Jesus was back, right? But yet, this is Peter because what's about to happen, Peter does not expect. It says Peter stood up. It's the same idea he had last time he stood up, but the last time he was going to do something old, you know. We're going to do what Jesus has always been doing. And this time it says Peter stood up. Now remember they were all sitting down, and these tongues that came in this this thing happened, and all of them show up, and it says Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, and he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He's talking about something new that's happened here. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you Suppose it's only nine in the morning. No, this was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he begins to pronounce things from the text that they've heard their whole lives. And Peter starts to say, "Wait a minute! We've heard this story, and it's happening today." This starts to sound like Jesus saying, "It starts today, right?" Remember the story? He unrolls the scroll in the temple, and he reads it, and he says, "This text is today fulfilled in your hearing." And he gets like run out. I mean, no one wants to hear it. And here is Peter standing up and saying, no, we've heard the story. And this is it. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. They will proclaim it. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, his first thing is to say, Listen, folks, we've heard the story, and in case you don't know it, let me tell it to you. And then he switches gears again, and listen, he, now he, he narrows it in. First, when he says, Listen, listen, what it says, um, I gotta find my spot. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, is the first person. Now, the second time he says, men of Israel, he's narrowing the scope down here. Because the truth is, even though something new's happening, Peter still has some blinders on, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he says, men of Israel, listen to this. And he starts to proclaim things. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, right? Which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. I mean, these guys have seen this Jesus and they think, now here's the kicker, they've got victory over Jesus through the cross. They see, they're still working under this mindset that they've won the battle. This man was handed over to you, Peter says, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to a cross but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him do you think that that's true in your life do you think that if God has a hold on you you cannot be lost to the grave it is not possible You're in the pit. You're in despair. You cannot help but be birthed from that place because of the living God. And he says here, but God raised him from the dead, freeing from the agony of death, because it's impossible for death to keep hold on him. And David said about him. Now he's going back to David, right? And this is the lineage they're waiting for. Is the promise, the coming kingdom? I have saw the Lord always before me, because He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. The same thing, glossa is used there. And my body will also live in hope. David proclaims, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy, in your presence. And then he goes one more time here, third time, Peter's sermon, right? And it's may not sound like much, but he's working the word something. And he says, "Brothers, it's the Delphos." See, he says, "Listen up, everybody!" And he goes, "Okay, you Christians, listen." And he's like, "All right, brothers and sisters, hear what I'm saying to you this morning." Brothers, I can tell you confidently that this patriarch David died and was buried and this tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And I think the language there is important. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has now poured it out. Now, poured out what you see and hear here today. And David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I make enemies. A footstool for your feet. Now, I want to say to you something this morning. Some people will tell me, I can't read the Bible because I'm confused by it. But here is, David has been writing things in the First Testament, in the book of Psalms, that, the, uh, that the, those who follow Judaism don't quite understand. So you're in good company, right? Because he says there, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But he's supposed to come from the lineage of David. And therefore, he says, this is Peter, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus the one you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is proclaiming the gospel message. He has made this Jesus the one that we all hung on a cross. Peter knows it's the one that he denied, Peter knows it's the one that he saw die. And this is the one, he says, this Jesus right here, this guy is the one that he's made Lord. That means master. That means the the sovereign ruler. He has absolute authority. He's made this guy the one that has absolute authority and Christ. And that is the anointed, the Messiah. Now, this language would sound familiar to Jews. And when people heard this, I want you to see, it says they were cut to the heart. It literally means they were cleaved. It means there was this big like, wah! You know, this is the one, this Jesus we're proclaiming today. This is the one that God made, both Lord and Christ of your life. And this word just comes down and just severs right to the very center of a cold, dead heart. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, now look at the question change. And they don't say, now what does this mean? But what should we do? Because there's been some truth revealed in their heart. And they have to ask the next question. This is what we do every week. We talk about next steps. Next steps. I pray, brothers and sisters, that if you were journeying with us, you are listening for the word of God, and you would identify something. What should you do with it? What does it mean, and what should we do? And Peter replied this way to them, and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. Listen to what he starts to proclaim here. And for your children and for all who are far off. For all who the Lord, our God, will call. And I'm just going to finish this out. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves in this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number. I want to remind you of a promise that Jesus made. He said, whenever the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. <laughs> Do you remember that? And you're going to proclaim the great things that God is doing. You're going to be the first to fan in the stand saying, go team. And then you're going to find yourself on the field moving the ball. And this is a great and, and a beautiful mystery of our walk with Jesus Christ. But you know what the problem is? I think sometimes we get so caught up in the game that we don't even see that there are people who don't even understand the gospel message. This, the, what, look at all it says here. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. By the way, do you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? Do you all know that, Jesus, that that's not Jesus Christ? And by the way, I always say, uh, and, and uh, I always made the joke that uh, I shared his middle initial, H, um, uh, which is not the case either, <laughs> you know. But, but do you know that, that his name is not Jesus Christ like Bill Dempsey. His name is Jesus the anointed, the Messiah. And he says, repent, change your mind, change your head, get your head on straight and be baptized. That's the same word there, dipped in the name, in the noma of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one for the forgiveness of your sins. Because brothers and sisters, there is no peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. And this is where we stand. As Christians, this is where we stand. There is no way. I would love I would love it, man. I tell you what. If, if there was an alternate solution that I could give you, if there was something that maybe didn't require you to soften your heart and turn over to God, if there was something that I could tell you that you could re- retain some of your pride, if there was something I could tell you you could, just, you could still not you know, ask the question, like, what does this mean? If there was something I could tell you that would not make you be displaced, but I can't. Because this Jesus is the only way to know peace with God. And this Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And this Jesus was hung on the cross by us, you see. Sometimes we get on that kind of high horse, right, with the the, the apostles and disciples because we read the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. And we say, boy, if I was there, I would have said, me and you, Jesus, were are no, we wouldn't. We'd have said, crucify him, crucify him. And ironically, in our, our complete, utter, worst moment ever, destroying the most beautiful thing ever, this man, God, Jesus, hang him on the cross in this moment of absolute um, sinfulness. God reached down and began to redeem his people. And so I hope today that you hear that. I'm going to ask the group to come back up. We're going to sing this song one more time. And we're going to do something today. We don't, you know, we usually kind of talk about how we do, uh, how we do invitations and stuff. But I want to encourage you today that if God is moving your life, Peter said it, and I believe it, and I believe it, and I believe it, that today's the day. And maybe you got that heart that you say, I just want to hang on to this one little thing before I, I don't want to let go yet. I'm not quite ready. But brothers and sisters, you ain't ever going to get ready. It's like trying to get better before you see the doctor so you can feel good about yourself. And if if you don't know Jesus Christ today, I'm just, as a fellow journeyer, I'm not promising uh, that I have the answers, but I can tell you I know one who does. I would invite you to come today and and just pray with me. And we're going to do that today. Um, And uh, if if, uh, maybe you've been journeying with Jesus and you're off track, I want to encourage you to wait, wait for him. Too many times we end up like Peter, rushing ahead and creating old things that God never wanted again. Didn't want it. Not the way it's going to go and uh and so i would encourage you to do that and uh more than anything else i love to it's i i saw my notes here i said ask god what does this mean and you can do that like in the privacy of your home or whatever you know i I love the secrecy of that i I love to encourage people to get in those quiet places and talk to god because it's not a show Uh, but the people actually ask each other in the text did you see that they looked at each other and they said what does this mean